Welcome everyone to Davos Fingers episode 52, Lies Kindly Meant. I'm scared I have with me, as always, Matt. Good evening, my friends. So, what we'll be covering this episode, we're continuing, of course, our tandem read of A Feast for Crows, or Afic, and A Dance with Dragons, A Duid. Is that what we're a, calling them? A, a fuck a dude. And, and a dude. A dude, right? A fuck and a dude. <laughs> Fucking dude. Uh, fucking dude. There you go. <laughs> or feast dance. Yeah. Uh, so we've got the special reading order that we're going through. Uh, it follows a feast with dragons created by or put together, compiled by a game of owns. Um, you can find that feastwithdragons.com or you can look on our website, davosfingers.com and find the schedule tab and you can find the reading order that we're doing it in. But for this episode, we are covering Cersei 1 from Feast for Crows, Tyrion 1 from A Dance with Dragons, Brienne 1 from A Feast for Crows, Sansa 1 from A Feast for Crows, and Bran 1 from A Dance with Dragons. So, excited. A dude. Uh, announcements. We got two or three today. So the first one is probably one that many of you have already heard about, but we wanted to say something too. And that is that Gurm actually has a short story appearing in a new fantasy anthology. The anthology is called The Book of Swords. It's due out October 10th, I saw. So it's still like a long ways off. Um, Gurm didn't, you know, write the whole book or anything. It's, it's, it's a ton of different authors just all compiled together. And he's got one story in that. Here's what he said about it. We'll just take it right from him. He says, those who enjoyed the princess and the queen in Dangerous Women and the rogue prince in Rogues, those are both short stories and other compilations, will probably like this one too. It's water from the same well, a history rather than a traditional narrative, a lot of telling, only a little showing. Well, I like it when they show stuff. Uh, yeah, but if you're showing is good, but dirty talk is all right. Yeah, that's true. Uh, he continues, if you're fascinated by the politics of Westeros, as many of my readers seem to be, you should enjoy it. As the title suggests, the Sons of the Dragon chronicles the reigns of the second and third Targaryen kings. We love them. Aenys the First and Maegor the Cruel, along with their mothers, wives, sisters, children, friends, enemies, and rivals. So be on the lookout for the Book of Swords uh, in the fall. Yeah. That's cool, man. I, I love the Targaryens and stuff, but... I'd much rather see some other things. Mm. Night's Watch stories or... Night's Watch would be huge for me. That would yeah. be awesome. But, you know, Targaryens are cool. I right. like them, too. Yep. Yeah. Some Dornish stuff would be fun. Dornish might be fun, yeah. 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 All right, mm. uh, so uh, another thing we wanted to mention. Uh, last episode, uh, Scad, myself, painfully admitted uh, that I had said damn fair. Uh, instead of damp hair, continuously as I read all the books until I started talking to these yahoos about it. Um, and <laughs> the damn fair. The damn fair. And I got uh, a lot of a lot of support from uh, from the Kalasar. Uh, <laughs> specifically, I'll call you guys out that admitted to this: uh, Jeff Jaramillo, Chris Capacci. Uh, is Capacci Capaci? I'm going with Capacci. Sarah B. James Raymond. And uh, Victoria Smith didn't ever say damn fair, but she did admit to a slightly different uh, <laughs> misreading. She didn't know the word sellsword, and so she, for all for for all of her reading, always said sells word, like they were a bunch of like angsty 
wannabe authors roaming around, like, expressing their anger with sores because they couldn't get published or something. It's like how and, actors are, are waiters and stuff in, yeah, in Westeros, yeah, exactly. if you're a struggling uh, I writer. Up, I guess I'll pick up this sword since you I can't fight. sell my words. Uh, Victoria sent that in an That's email, awesome, and I Victoria. thought it was the most awesome thing. We love you. Share. That's so yeah. cool. So thanks to Jeff, Chris, Sarah, and James for uh, commiserating. I feel like there was more. Was that it? I, I like... looked. I looked for more. If I left you out, guys, I'm sorry. I, I scoured Facebook today. I scoured Twitter, and I scoured email to look f- to try to find everybody. But that's okay. all I could find. But uh, maybe I missed some people. I apologize if I did. You warmed Scatty's cold, dark heart. So I did. I, fe- I felt good to have uh, you know some company down there <laughs> in the damn fair region. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, last announcement. Uh, do you guys remember when we did this little thing last year called A Song of Madness? Well, if you well, don't, you missed okay. out. <laughs> you missed out. Okay. So Song of Madness is a thing where we do uh, these little matchups between two characters and we do Twitter voting to see who wins. It's strictly, if I remember right, Matt, strictly based on just who you like more. Who you want to vote for yeah we didn't and we didn't we don't do anything like who would win who in would this win actual fight yeah. you know because yeah. sometimes it was like amon targaryen versus gregor clegane who's going to win in a fight no it's just who you like more just pick so. yeah just pick who you like yep. just pick it's a popularity contest and last year's winner was who jamie f and lannister man so disappointing <laughs> yeah! anyway uh <laughs> Matt and I are, can, are planning to do that again. Uh, it's still a little ways away. I think it's kick us kicks off around March fifteenth ish. Um, so it's it's modeled after the the NCAA March Madness basketball tournament here in the United States, which correct. is commonly called March Madness. So correct. So a few few matchups a day to start, and then uh, I think it's usually two, isn't it? And then towards the end, it's like one a day. Yeah, but uh, it's a good time. Like if you're not on Twitter, that's where most of this stuff happens. Uh, so you might want to just. Twitter's paying us now, so we have to do this. You might want to just get a Twitter account, you know, to follow the Song of Madness. Twitter is not paying us. No, no, they're not. <laughs> no one is paying us. No. <laughs> all right. That's fine. Uh, that's all we got for announcements. Uh, just want to jump into the cast now. So uh, we always say this. We are spoiler-free until the end of this podcast. We do have a special segment that called Davos After Dark. We will warn you with Matt's magical little jingle. And uh, you can jump off if you don't want spoilers. I know we do have a few people out there doing that. Yeah. Um, got got a nice email from a, from a gentleman uh, since the last episode indicating that he, he does jump off. And he's, he's like, I'm really excited because after I finish, I can go back and listen to all the Davos After Dark. And it's like stuff. new content for it's, him. Yeah, new content for him. So yeah. be fun. Anyway, so yeah, that's going on. Yep, and if you want to contact us, you know, you can complain about Scott and myself, which we wouldn't blame you if you did. Uh, you sure. can jape with us, joke around. We do a lot of the japing and joking on the Twitters, but uh, we should give more love to to our friends on Facebook and in other places. Uh, but you can contact us in all of those places. You can reach out to us through DavosFingers.com, which is our Tumblr page. You can email us at WeAreDavosFingers at gmail.com. We get a lot of good stuff there, people telling us theories, suggesting topics for future episodes. We love hearing that stuff our twitter handle is uh, at davos fingers and you can find us davos fingers on facebook so i'd That's love right. to hear from you oh and we oh this is uh Circe coming up right matt so we got a, a new jingle here here and, we do uh, have a new jingle brianna a little bit later getting yeah. excited yeah 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 yeah, yeah. 
G- Brienne's jingle was inspired by Killer Queen, by Queen, especially the line the caviar and cigarettes. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really yeah. sound like it at all, but I kind of went for that feel. But... Oh man, the Freddy, just such a uh, such a whimsical vocalist. That guy, it's fantastic. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, we don't have anything else to say. Should we jump right in then? Yeah. Cersei okay. one. Okay, here we go. Alluring eyes can get the guys with promises, lies, then cast aside. Can't she be the man she thinks her family needs? One brother she hates, with the other she mates. Those debts can she repay, Cersei Lannister. My favorite part of that jingle is gonna be with the other one she mates. <laughs> Love it. All right. <laughs> one brother she hates, the other one she... God, how can I rhyme that? Mm, what rhymes with hates? Mates! Oh! Yeah, maybe not uh, my best work, but... Oh, no, it's fantastic. All right. So, The Emperor's Close is a story of a monarch brought low by his people, and Cersei dreams something similar. Naked, uncovered, the public laugh at her lack of clothes, or maybe her lack of substance... She tries to hide it, but she cuts herself on the many swords of the Iron Throne. The lie becomes much more obvious every second as her dwarf brother laughs from below, mocking her. She awakens with a touch. A white knight that isn't Jamie vaguely tells of her father's death. A privy, a crossbow. But she won't believe it till she sees. Helped by her handmaid, she prepares herself for the journey to the Tower of the Hand. And as she does, she tries in vain to shake the image of Tyrion mocking and laughing at her, convincing herself he can't hurt her as he is sentenced to die on the morrow. She inquires about the safety of uh, King Tommen, uh, and it's indicated that Loras is watching Tommen, while Jaime explores the secret passage that was found in Tywin's room, a secret passage that we know Tyrion used to murder Shay and his own father. Loras guarding Tommen makes her a little bit uneasy. The Tyrells in general make her a little uneasy. Uh, she makes her way, though, with Sir Osmond leading the way. As she walks, though, she thinks. More fears. More doubts. Was Stannis behind this? Is there an attack coming? Is he coordinating with somebody else in the city? Then she moves to even more immediate threats. With Father out of the way, who else is a threat within the city walls? Who will try to fill that power vacuum that may exist? And then a beam of sunlight peeks through the fears. A silver lining in the storm cloud. With Tywin, Tyrion, and Jaime out of the way, the rock was hers. She would be a woman of import for the rest of her life to control her own destiny from here on out. So, finally she is brought to the body. An ill sight of blood and pubic hair. Gross. A man who always strove to be viewed mightily, stuck in an image of complete indecency. She is quick to order him made presentable, but the only maester they can find is Kyburn. You guys remember Kyburn. The maester stripped of his chain by the citadel that helped with Jamie's stump. Cersei asks him to help, and he agrees, though his first act, actually, is to send Cersei into a fucking rage as he points out Shay, heretofore completely overlooked by Cersei when she was looking at her father. They're laying in the same bed, and she just completely missed her. She goes into a full-on rage denial that Tywin would be involved with a whore. Kyburn, though, quick on his feet, he provides a solution that uh, certainly Tywin was just questioning Shay. Cersei seizes onto this hard for everyone to hear and demands that the Kettleblacks make Shay's body disappear quickly. But while she does that, she remembers Shay's last interaction with her. 
asking for her payment for giving up Tyrion. You remember that Shay testified during Tyrion's trial, and she was promised some payment for that. Of course, Cersei has reneged on paying that. No dough unless Shay can point them to Sansa, who'd fled town. Shay left her uh, in tears. And that was the last time she saw her. Jamie emerges from his search, interrupting her thoughts, and indicates that he did not find the perpetrators. Cersei demands them found. Good job, Cersei. Way to make demands. She approaches Jamie, entreating him to become Hand, but he loudly and publicly rebuffs her. Don't ask me to rule. With everyone watching, she states boldly, I will rule until my son comes of age. I don't know who I pity more, Tommen or the Seven Kingdoms. Slap! She slaps him. He tries to block her slap with his stubby hand and misses, and she leaves a mark on his face. As she leaves, she thinks on her next move. She's in charge now, and she must surround herself with new allies, and potentially negate the coming marriage of Marjorie to Tommen, who, you know, she doesn't really trust Marjorie or those Tyrells. She wants to keep the roses at bay. Her, th her thoughts also drift to Varys, and she's suddenly hit with a moment of clarity. Varys isn't here. He must be somehow involved, and she demands that he be brought to her. But first, news we know. News is brought that Tyrion has indeed escaped his cell, and all her dreams come rushing back. Tyrion, her Valonqar, lives, is free, and is coming for her. She knows it. That's the end of the chapter. Paranoid much, Cersei? Oh my gosh. I mean, it's it's kind of... It really is kind of amazing how the brain moves kind of... When, you're, when your life is all of a sudden shifted into disarray or, mm -hmm. or some dramatic change, how your brain can just shift through all the different outcomes that are possible. And, and how, it, how your brain tries to kind of construct your new reality for you, like immediately right mm -hmm. that's true pretty, pretty crazy yeah yeah i guess that's right i was giving cersei a hard time of it just seems like she's always in attack mode like so much so that she loses touch with reality like yeah of course the tyrells are making this big power play they're totally doing that but stop and think about how you can use that to your advantage rather than just going nutso over it but you're right. She's gone through traumatic experience. We got to keep that in mind. Her brain's going 100 miles an hour, as anyone's probably would. Um, maybe not anyone's. I think maybe we react differently to different things. But I think that's how I would be. And uh, also, I can't really judge Cersei too much on her thoughts because this is our first look into them, right? First it POV is. chapter for this young lady. It is, but it, it's kind of uh, – George is such a master. Like yeah. it, it's kind of exactly how it, it, is it validating it, a little bit. I mean, <laughs> right. This, this, so this is like you said. This is our first look into her brain, but you don't think so. You're reading it. You're like, I've read her before. Yeah, I know the, exactly. This how is this the is. Cersei we always imagined. That's yeah. Crazy. This is exactly yeah. how you imagine her brain works. Mm -hmm. Right. Always like, who's plotting against me? Who's scheming? Yeah. What advantage do I need to grab? How can I work this to my situation? It's exactly the way you imagine her. Like George is a master. Which is interesting, right? Because some of these POVs, you don't get that. Like with Jamie, you get a little bit of it here and there, but you also get these layers that you didn't expect to get from Jamie. And I've had that with that experience with others too. But yeah, Cersei is exactly how I pictured it being with Cersei. Yeah. Totally agree. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think you're right about Jamie too. I think Jamie 
JB surprised me a little bit when I read his read his tale. You know, kind of picture him a little bit more villainous than he was. He's a little bit more playful and fun, um, you know, than you maybe picture him to be. Even thoughtful. His POV. Yeah, well, I'm not going to give him too much credit, Matt. Let's let's go easy. He's look. He already won last year the tournament. We don't need to like build him up too much. We can build him up forever. That hot piece of a yeah. Wow. Just let that sit for a second. <laughs> He's called Stumpy. I'll let you figure out why. Oh, it's for the hand, believe me. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't, she's always got these demons after her, right? Just kind of always. Just she's she. I, I don't know whether it's because she's always trying to improve her station, right? And as such, she's always encountering new like her list of villains and and uh adversaries just keeps growing whereas you know most people just kind of settle in and they have their villains and that's it mm-hmm. her list just kind of keeps growing as she keeps going after more power and stuff maybe that's true and and going back to her childhood we see that she's always had to be kind of on the defensive because of principally her relationship with jamie right um, that's always had to have been a secret. It's always something he's had to hide. If her dad ever found out, you know, crap would hit the fan really fast. And so it's, it's, it's born from this life lived of feeling like everyone's against you because of the way that you are. Um, but yeah, she's let it grow to these humongous proportions. Man, that just, the way you put that, like it just, it just reminded me how, terrible of a family they are <laughs> I, and I, I don't mean i don't mean uh villainous or evil to this world i just mean just as a functional family functional they're awful right they're awful i mean look at her look at how she real really reacts to, to tywin's death here it's it's all about like what does it do to my situation mm-hmm. and she's got a lot at stake so that's somewhat explainable but i mean she says once in there she she, she says something about um Somebody servicing his needs in hell. I have that quote here. Such a man deserves a retinue to attend his needs in hell. Right. Wow. So, <laughs> Father so she knows of mine, tell me where yeah, did you like, go? <laughs> Father of mine, tell me where have you been? You know I just closed my eyes. My whole world is up here. I mean... I guess kudos for being honest with yourself. Oh my gosh! Uh, but I, like, that's not that's not the that's not the heartwarming feeling, you know, of a of a loving of a loving and loved daughter, right? Mm-hmm. It just kind of underscores how dysfunctional they really were. You you mentioned you know they're lying from not day one, but day three hundred and sixty five times what? How old were they? Ten? Something like that. <laughs> yeah. Day three thousand. They're they lying to their dad around. about this relationship. Yep. You know. She never liked Tyrion. Tyrion has grown up in this this need to please at all times. I mean, they're just so dysfunctional. Uh, Yeah, maybe we can come back to the Tyrion thing when we get to his chapter. But that's one note that I made just going back to the story of Tysha is the pure heartlessness of Tywin Lannister. When you think about the the gang rape of Tysha and how heartless that was just for him doing that to a woman he knew was innocent, but also doing that to his own son. Yeah. That whole experience of making Tyrion go through that, including participating in the actual rape. Yeah. His own son. Yeah. Like 
Tywin's done a lot of bad things, but that for me is like a father that, that when that hit me, I just went, Oh my, this is wow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But he, he, but he projects, we've talked about this before with him. He projects this image of who he is as this, you know, flawless being Mm -hmm. that's in complete control of everything. And the illusion is so strong that Cersei doesn't even see a naked whore in his bed. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like, she's blind to any sort of fault he can have in some way. Mm-hmm. It's very strange. Yeah, and the sad thing is, is Cersei has started doing the same thing in terms of treating her children like objects to further herself. I used to think... And I used to give Cersei the benefit of the doubt by saying she's a good mom who cares about her kids. And I think she does care about her kids to the degree that it advances her station, like you said before. Mm -hmm. Right? She wants to be the mom of the king. Yeah. And that's... And then the Lady of the Rock as she fades into... uh, What is it? What is it? uh, Galadriel says, I shall fade into something... I forgot. Uh, I, know, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. But, I, I have passed the test. I will fade into. Oh, something. crap. That's going to bug me now. Sorry, man. I fail. Lord of the Rings reference fail. Someone's going to get it, though. Someone's <laughs> someone's <laughs> listening right now, screaming the answer at us. Hashtag outtake. <laughs> I pass the test. I will diminish and go into the West. But yeah, they're, they're, the fact that they are Lannisters is far more important to her than the fact of them being actual humans. Yeah. And that is how Tywin was. And that's really yeah. sad. Yep. <sighs> <sighs> yeah. How about uh, Cersei and Kyburn? That is, is a scary of a beautiful couple. friendship. Yeah. <laughs> you deserve each other. Oh, my goodness. Um, could be interesting. Yeah. Could be very interesting. Uh, what do you think? Is anything going to happen there? Don't care. Well, I just think he, he, he is in need of impressing upon someone so that he has station. I mean, how, <laughs> why was he there? It's kind of weird. What was he doing? <laughs> He's the first maester they find? What was he doing? Just kind of hanging out at the base of the stairs? It's kind of an ambulance chaser, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It reminds me, in Clerks, uh, the they're having the argument about how many uh, dicks his girlfriend has sucked, right? 37 yep. dicks. Yeah. And uh, she walks out, and he yells out of the, he, she, she walks out of the convenience store, he leans out the door, he's like, don't suck any dick on the way to the parking lot! And the guy standing right there just kind of like, stands up and walks after her. It's like, just a complete opportunist. Hey, try not to suck any dick on the way to the parking lot! Like, Kyber's just kind of hanging out, waiting yeah. for the dick-sucking girlfriend. That's what he's ready to do, man. Whatever yeah. it takes to get ahead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, good pun. See what I did there? I do. Brooke yeah. is rolling her eyes. Yeah. Uh, groan. Groan. Uh, I don't know. I, I think he, he needs to impress upon somebody, and he certainly has some skills. And uh, Cersei has noted in this chapter uh, the growing uselessness of uh Picel. Yeah. And I mean, remember maybe, the work that Kyburn did gap. on Jamie. 
Like, yeah, Jamie's arm was not in a good place when Kyborn uh, took it over, and he saved it. So, yeah, possibly saved Truth. Jamie's life. Actually, yep. Truth. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't mean to say that he's uh, doesn't have ability. I just he's kind of got a black mark. No, and and yeah, that's what's cool is he's is he's got this black mark on him right now, but yet he's seems to be fairly talented. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. The combination I, of the two could be scary. I've only really got one more thing. Hmm. Uh, I've brought this up before, and I think you guys in the past are just kind of like, let it go. But I still don't get the whole Kingsguard thing. Hmm. Like, why isn't the Kingsguard guarding Tommen? The king. Why, why yeah. are they shepherding Cersei around, yep. go, hanging out with Tywin's dead body? Like, who gives a shit? It's a dead body. You should be with the king. I still don't understand this. We've got all these guys cruising around. Meanwhile, there's one of them with the king. And they sent 12 regular guards or something up to be with them, right? Right. I read somewhere in the chapter something like that. Uh, I don't know. It's just a it's a prickly point for me. I, I don't understand the King's Guard rules. I don't think I ever will. Uh, and it could be one of those things where you appoint these guys and they're, you know, as when, when it's all about family like it is with the Lannisters, they kind of become yours to command, right? Yeah, and yeah. And yeah, they they have to do it, and that's. But I agree with you. You're right. You've always been right. It's weird. But give it <laughs> up. Right. Oh, okay. Fine. Just the way it is. I'll give it up. <laughs> I did think it was funny when uh, Jamie was that Jamie's down exploring the the secret passageways and stuff like that. Ain't your job, man. Um, but you know why he's doing it. Yeah, you know exactly why he's doing it. He's a he's feeling a little guilty because he was a part of all this, and B he might be trying to cover any sort of tracks that were left behind that might have been missed, even though Varys yeah. is very thorough. And C, uh, maybe he's he's looking for Tyrion, right? For whatever reason. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that he was ready to fucking rage kill Tywin like Tyrion did, uh-huh. but he wasn't far behind Tyrion on the father hate. Oh yeah, either. Yeah. So I I don't know how guilty he feels. Uh, you know, his, we haven't talked too much about his reaction to Cersei's request here, but his, his attitude is clear. We've seen it over the last, you know, the last half book clearly mm-hmm. that it was changing, but he, he's, he's moved on from his, any sort of family obligations right. or like he, I don't think he feels that guilty about it. That's uh, true. That's true. But mm-hmm. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, revelation that Shay was in it for the cash. Right? If there was any question whether Shay really loved Tyrion, no, what Cersei thinks there kind of puts that to rest, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think uh, when we covered the trial, we brought this up, and I think one of you guys had to correct me that later Cersei confirms that she actually talked to her the night before or whatever and like mm-hmm. planned this all out, because I, I didn't remember that. Um, but yeah, here's, here's the confirmation you guys told me about then. Um, yeah. And, you know, re- mentioning the, the jewels and clothes and stuff that Tyrion had always said she got. She's like, I got this coupon. Can I still redeem yeah, it here? Yeah. This, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is an IOU. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's as good as cash, sir. Well, and a Lannister always pays their debts, and Cersei's not. Yeah. 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 No. No. Which I always, I always thought that Tywin. Uh, made the first move on Shay 
he like called her to his bedchamber to you know I, I still do his that. thing i probably but i did get the thought of shay goes to cersei to try to get all this doesn't get it so she thinks okay who else can i go to i'm gonna go straight to the top i got away with men i can do this and maybe she yeah, approached Tywin first yeah that's possible suppose it doesn't matter too much they did yeah i i i guess we'll talk about it more when we get to the Tyrion chapter mm-hmm. which is coming up sure maybe that's a transition let's do it hey hey all right that's a very canadian thing of me to say hey let's do it hey they they say a and hey right do they say hey? A lot of them say hey. Hmm. Yeah. I'll have to pay more attention at work. I'll tell you certain people that do it a lot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, Tyrion, hey? Hey. Did it again. Cripples and bastards and broken things, but the power of the mind can give you wings. Drinking and japing and yeah, ladies. Tyrion, Lannister, or Imp, if you please. Okay, <clears throat> so he drank his way across the narrow sea. Tyrion is in the small cabin of a small ship, living in a pretty constant cycle of drinking, puking, drinking, trying to sleep, drinking, passing out, drinking. I mean, the poor cabin boy who has to clean up after him every day is like, dude, if you're going to spew, spew into this. Um, if you're going to spew, spew into this. Yeah. <laughs> Remember Indian's the world reference. <laughs> we had to get it in there anytime we can. Uh, yep. Remember the last time we'd seen Tyrion was back at King's Landing. Varys and Jamie had busted him out of jail, but instead of escaping, he instead took the Red Keep's hidden tunnels up to the Tower of the Hand, where he found Shay naked in Tywin's bed and Tywin pinching a loaf in the bathroom. Uh, killing them both, it was time for him to get away, far away. And this ship was going to take him there, although he didn't know exactly where there was. Uh, he has no idea that uh, he's, well, he gets the, he knows he's going across the narrow sea, but to where, right? So mentally, emotionally, whatever you want to call it, Tyrion, to say the least, is not in a great place. Love, justice, friendship, glory, being tall, it was all beyond his reach. Shay's betrayal, even though he knew deep down she didn't love him, uh, Jamie's confession that Taisha had indeed loved him, and even and especially his confrontation with his father had left him feeling absolutely empty, or at least, I think, wanting to be empty. Uh, it just seems like Tyrion cares so much about not wanting to care right now, <laughs> even if he doesn't acknowledge it. He cares about not caring. Um, anyways, arriving at wherever they're arriving, Tyrion is packed rather comically into an empty wine cask and rolled, thrown, kicked, and stacked on his way to his final destination, which turns out to be the manse of none other than Illyrio Mopatis in Pentos. Remember him? Clear back from Game of Thrones? He's the guy that brokered the marriage of Khal Drogo to Danny after sheltering her in Viserys. Turns out he's friends with Varys and will be keeping Tyrion safe and comfy for now. Uh, Tyrion mistrusts Illyrio, thinking he's sure to sell him out whenever the money is right. Nevertheless, Illyrio plays the gracious host with Tyrion getting a much-needed bath, uh, swanky accommodations, serving girls who Illyrio promised would be catering to his every need, and freedom to roam the grounds 
as long as he didn't leave them, because safety first. So Tyrion does spend most of the day wandering around the manse grounds, looking for possible routes of escape so he can get back to Westeros. He's trying to make up his mind of either going north to the Wall, where all sins and crimes are wiped clean, or else to Dorne, where he could work at starting a war between his niece and nephew, remembering that Marcella's there. Uh, but alas, here he is. So later that evening, Tyrion sits down to dine with Illyrio. There's this quick trust exercise where Illyrio urges Tyrion to eat mushrooms that Tyrion presumes to be poisonous. And then Illyrio, like, hints that they actually are poisonous. But then Illyrio eats one of the mushrooms himself to prove he means him no harm. It's really weird. Uh, then talk turns to Tyrion's plans, which basically include bringing down his family right now. He just wants to bring down Lannisters. Uh, Tywin Lannister was a great beginning, says Illyrio, obviously. But as talk turns to Dorne and Tyrion's budding plan to go there, queen his niece, and then take over Westeros, uh, Illyrio correctly declares that the power of Dorne, although significant and unbloody during the War of the Five Kings, is still not enough to uh, completely take Westeros. Illyrio, however, deduces that because of the dire post-war conditions of Westeros right now, folks will be looking for a savior, and not Stannis, Marcella, or Tommen, a savior with a better claim to the throne than all of them, who could come across the sea to bind up the wounds of bleeding Westeros. A dragon, Illyrio reveals, a dragon with three heads. And so ends the chapter. Oh, a dragon with three heads. Hmm. Wonder who that could be. Yeah. So it appears that Illyrio is wanting to uh, get Danny over. He's a Danny supporter, at least on the surface here. Has um, been for sure. I mean, um, you know, not not only did he, you know, support Viserys and you know arrange the marriage with Danny and everything, um, right. but he also sent the ships out right with all the goods and stuff. To try to bring her back, um, Barristan and Strong Belwas, right? Yeah. Exactly. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And Gro Grolio. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's been a a huge Danny supporter in the past for sure. Then you know she's got three dragons. Looks like that's who he's talking about. Yeah. Looking forward to some Davos After Dark talk about him. <laughs> what that has to do with Tyrion, I don't know. Right. <laughs> but you know, you mentioned the uh, the awkward mushroom bit. Mm -hmm. uh, and you and you also mentioned the kind of the opposite of passive passive aggressive the aggressive aggressive uh, <laughs> denial that he's going through about how he doesn't care uh, you know even even to the point of talking about being proactive to start a war between his family uh, you know very much very much a feeling sorry for himself chapter and Illyrio sees it and. That mushroom. I thought that mushroom bit was just brilliant from him. Right. Right. It's it's okay. Here it is. I'm calling you out right in front of you. You want out? Here you go. Let's talk about your problems. Mm -hmm. Right. And it kind of forces Tyrion to like back up. Yeah. You know? It it's a, it's a test for Tyrion to prove to Tyrion that he's still in this. Right. 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 And yeah. That there's still something this life has to offer. Yep. He may not know yet what yet, but it more than just 
retreating to being murdered at the wall because John Slint would totally do that, or you know, starting a war between his family. There's got to be something more, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I thought it was a brilliant move. Loved yeah, it. it's fantastic. Agreed. Yeah. What uh, What did you think of Tyrion's oft repeated line? I didn't bring it up in my summary at all. Of where do whores go? I've got it here in my notes to bring it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's as if he thinks someone somewhere will be triggered by the phrase and has a conditioned response with a precise location. <laughs> you know, it's 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 like it's a secret phrase, it's like code. a secret knock. Yeah. yeah. And somebody will answer with the lat- latitude and longitude of Westeros of where taisha is or something right it's a it's a weird thing yeah like like it's like it's a nursery rhyme that everyone else knows that he's never heard before and certainly if he asks enough people they'll just try to figure it out it's very weird yeah well do you think he's actually trying to find taisha or is he trying to find the 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 state of mind he was in when he was with her do you know what I mean? I don't know what you mean, but I'd love to hear you elaborate. Well, it seems like, and we get very little insight into what their short time together was like, but it appears to be perhaps the happiest, pure happiest that Tyrion's ever been, right? For certain, that time was, was her, yeah. It was a carefree time um, and all of that, and it's almost like... He didn't care about his family. He didn't care about any of that. Now he's a kinslayer and he can't stop thinking about his family and how much he wants to kill them and everything. And the where do whores go is just a way of him saying, how do I get back to some sort of happiness? Um, And he would never admit that he's doing that. But I don't know. I feel like that's maybe something he's he's searching for. Like like a lamenting like almost a lamenting thing rather than a real question he's asking. Right. Yes. It's not sincere, but even, I don't know if I'm explaining this well, but even he doesn't realize he's doing it to him. It's, it's, it's what, you know, we've been talking about, but deep down, I wonder if that's what he's really searching for. Um, and part of it, it frankly might be his dogged obsession with showing his worth to his father. Like, Tywin yeah. didn't know where whores go. He's like, I don't know wherever whores go. And Tyrion's like, fine, I'm going to find where whores go just so I can know something you don't know. <laughs> but, yeah, it could be. I, it's interesting. With that phrase, I've always just taken it literally. Mm. Tywin said that they that she's where whores go, and so Tyrion's actually going to go look. And I, but I don't, I don't know why I felt that. I mean, with this, certainly with this uh, depression and this angry state, and he's he's specifically saying he's going to go to the Wall or Dorne. Mm-hmm. I doubt he thinks that's where whores go. Um, so, yeah, he doesn't sound like he's actually seeking them out. So maybe there's something to what you're saying that it's not. He's not really looking. He's just trying to. He's just saying it as a a response to the events that just happened and oh, yeah. trying to clear his brain or or maybe even focus on the anger. Like he wants to stay angry, and so he tries to remember those last. That's true. Words. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, maybe I don't know because this is he passes it off as like, yes, I finally killed my dad. I hated him, and he did hate him. But we've yeah. talked about this before: is that he desperately wanted to be him at the same time, yeah. right? And yeah, at least like him in in many ways. Yeah, right. And and this 
animosity that his respect too that's true yeah he wanted his dad to respect him and that's part of the animosity between the two of them is that i think tywin recognized how much Tyrion was like him and Tyrion, of course recognized that he even admits to him in in that final scene right where tywin says you're nothing like me or something and Tyrion goes oh no 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 i am what does he say i'm i'm you writ small or something like that something yeah so even Tyrion knows it uh, and that probably bugs him to no end. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I, uh, I'm i glad you brought that up. I'd never thought of it that way. Hmm. Um, Is that overall why he's acting so intentionally dickish to everybody? I think, he, I think it's kind of similar to what you said in your summary. He, 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 he wants to remain angry, hmm. and he's going about doing everything he can to kind of remain angry about it. Right. Like be a, you know, just kind of, I mean, you, you also said he's kind of like trying to put it out there. Like he doesn't care that he doesn't care, but also I think it's like, ah, yeah, I killed him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I did it. I'm probably kind of, kind of like when you make a mistake and you know, you made a mistake, but you double down, you know, you're like, yeah, I'm owning that. Mm -hmm. You know? That's true. I'm thinking in particular the uh, bed warmer that is sent to him, and he's intentionally uh, just trying to like scare her and stuff like that. It's, uh, and at it's, first he has no intention of sleeping with her or doing anything physical, but then in the end he's just like, you know what? Yeah, I'm gonna. So be here when I get back, naked. <laughs> it's 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 maybe the low point in the series for me with Tyrion. Right. It, like he's he's actually wanting to bed someone specifically because she loathes him. Mm -hmm. like, well, that's sad. I can do that's, this, right? That's sad. Well, it's a power thing, but it's also like, uh, I I want this experience of being with someone that loathes me. Mm -hmm. I I want it because it's different. And may, maybe like he thinks he deserves it. He does, I don't know. I don't know. Like he doesn't deserve someone that loves him. So he'll, he'll take this or I don't know. I, it just, it was intimidating and awful. And yeah, it made me sick to my stomach to read, to be honest. Yeah. I, I I've said before that Tyrion's one of my favorite characters, um, in my other rereads and this podcast is ruining him for me, man. I'm looking at him way deeper and this is just such a cruel moment. It, it's such a, ugh, such a bullying, sexual predatory way i just oh it was awful it really highlights just like you talked about before the dysfunction of the lannister family and in the first two three books Tyrion comes off as the victim in all of this and here we see this yeah we're casting him in a bad light but we realize that he wasn't immune to some of the crappy things that went on in his home right yeah and he got some of that poison too it's really sad I've told the story on this cast before about uh, my friend in college, Uncle Carl. Yep. Uh, his name was Pete. We called him Uncle Carl because when he got drunk, he became this violent, crazy person. And <laughs> eventually he just kind of started like living up to that because he thought he should. Part of part of this might be that, this whole thing with, with this woman that he's um, demanding be in his bed and the way he's treating everyone and all the things he's saying. He knows he's now a kinslayer and he's been taught that is the war and a king slayer, or you know, supposedly, right? Um, but he's been taught all these things that that these are the worst things you can be, and so now he's trying to live up to it. 
oh, I'm the worst thing in the world? Fine, I'm going to be the worst thing in the world. I'm going to be the worst thing, yep. Yeah. So maybe he's trying to, like, play up this role that he's now supposedly cast in. I don't mm-hmm. know. Which we've talked about Jamie doing before, too, in a way. Yeah, yep. He's yeah, like, fine, have. I'm just going to be this guy. Right. Yep. Yep. Which is, a, it's, I mean, it it's weakness. It, it happens, but it's weakness, too. Mm-hmm. But anyway. Yep. Uh, so I, I was curious about the trip uh, to Pentos. Roughly seven days. Uh, we've talked. We've referenced this amazing spreadsheet that has all sorts of timing and tracking and stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. they estimate that it's about seven days, um, twelve hundred seventy-five miles. I used the uh, Galenix map. We haven't quoted. We haven't mentioned the Galenix map in we a while. We haven't in a while. Yeah, that Galenix map. If you go to it, uh, if you just search Galenix map, uh, as a song of ice and fire, you'll find it. Uh, it's amazing, and you can like control, click, and drag, and see like the distance mm-hmm. of places. And uh, it said it's roughly 1,275 miles from King's Landing uh, to Pentos. Uh, also, a quick note, uh, one of my favorite phrases that George uses, he uses it a few times, sacks of suet. <laughs> uh, that phrase appears three times in the series. Is that it? Suet. Su- yeah, well, the, that combination, just three times. Sacks of suet. Suet, yeah. suet itself appears 14 times. Mm. Seven of them in dance. I was going to say, probably most of them referring yeah. to Illyrio or Sam. Uh, and a character we haven't met yet. I don't know if it's a spoiler to say it. The, 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 That's fine. fine. Yeah. It, it was Yezin? Is that his name? Sure. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, so... Just wanted to bring that up. It's one of my favorite phrases. Mm, the, suet. the double S's, sacks of suet. <laughs> yeah. That word just, oh, it's this lovely word that yeah, suet. brings to mind these wonderful things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that I have too much more. Illyrio's got a lot of money, hey? He's a lot just of money. rich beyond belief. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, he does. And... Uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what he has in, in store for Tyrion here. Um, clearly he's got, he and Varys have a role for him to play. Um, speaking of Varys, uh, oh, yeah. th- there's a little flashback there about, uh, I never knew what he was, and Varys says, and now you do. Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you think, what do you think he now knows about him? What, Ver- what Tyrion knows about Varys? No, what Tyrion, so Tyrion's talking about his dad. He says, I never knew what he was. Uh-huh. After he climbs down the ladder, uh-huh. and Varys says back to him, "And now you do." Oh, I I, I remember now. Thanks. <clears throat> I I thought it just always just spoke to the humanity of Tywin that he takes dumps just like the rest of us, and he dies just like the rest of us. You know, what did you think? I, I went with the hypocrisy component mm. of being with Shay, and sure. Um, that he's just not at all, and, and actually, that speaks a little bit to you, to to you. That's too. kind of the same vein, he's, right? Yeah, he's built up this image of himself as this person whose shit doesn't stink. And guess what? You went in there, and it does. I know you like to think yo don't stink. Outcast. Uh, yeah, I'm not a fan. <laughs> That's why I sing it. I know. Yeah. <clears throat> I think I need to go throw up. We need to pause for a second? No, I'll be okay. 
I just threw up in my mouth a little. I put it back. Take back a drink. Down. Take a drink. We're okay. Yeah. <sighs> just breathe for a second. <laughs> I'm all right. We can move on. <laughs> but I thought about that in this chapter where Ver- – or actually in the Cersei chapter where Varys was so noticeably absent from King's Landing – uh, or in this scenario, you know, he sh- he would normally be right there in the middle of things, and he's not. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you have to think Varys knows that they would notice that he's not there. So yeah, so yeah, I think Varys a... is executing something where he's cognizant of the fact that he's going to be noticed missing, and he's okay with that for whatever reason. Yeah, it doesn't seem like him at all to give himself away like that. Right. So yeah, it, it means, it seems to, I don't know, it's, he must have something up his sleeve. Yep. And it's big enough that, like I said, he's willing to, to sacrifice that knowledge that people will have yeah. and yeah. go with it. So, yeah. So Varys is probably doing something big. Hmm. Who can say? Well, I don't know that I got anything else. All right, yeah, let's move on. Okay. You got Brienne. If you could see what we could see Oh, I swear you would believe Conviction, grace, and pride It's where the beauty resides You don't have to hide behind the lies Oh, your fate, they can't decide Well, Brienne, you'll always be Beauty to me. Brienne. The beauty searches the crown lands for Sansa Stark, but she isn't having much luck. She decides to move on, having talked to most of Rosby, which is basically the biggest, the closest town to King's Landing. Doesn't take long. No, no, there's not, not a lot of people there. As she leaves, she thinks back on her promise that she'll find the girl and keep her safe. Promise she made to Jamie. Doing her best to keep Jamie's promise originally to Cat, right? That that she sent Jamie back to King's Landing, she'd get her daughters back. Um, but it's difficult, though. She considers Sansa's options. She's got no dad, no mom. Her home is burned. She's got no friends lingering there anyway. No family uh, there. She has nowhere really to run, like no real friends, nowhere to go. And that actually means that she could be anywhere. When there are no options, mm. there are actually infinite options, right? Mm-hmm. So she starts on the road to Duskendale, encountering people of all persuasions on the way, but none has any knowledge of Sansa. As darkness falls, she encounters a campfire with two hedge knights cooking trout. And thank the seven, because this chapter needed a good kick in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> they are Sir Creighton Longbow, who of who the singers sing, according to, according to him. Yeah. And Sir Illifer the Penniless. And they are a hoot. Yeah, great name. And they're a hoot. Uh, So Creighton never shuts up about his deeds of valor. And Illifer is 60 in totally rusted armor. And to this reader, reeks of the kind of self-reflecting honesty that only advanced age can really bring. (laughs) As they eat, Creighton brags and insists that Brienne ride with them, while Illifer actually deduces whom Brienne is, forcing Brienne to swear on everything she can think of that she did no harm to Renly. Because that rumor's still out there that, that she's responsible for this. So they eventually trust her enough, and she draws first watch. She considers bolting during her watch, but can't do it. She knows this would leave them unprotected, and, you know, she's honorable and all that crap. 
But she does have trouble sleeping while the others watch. Still, though, she does get some. Her sleep is unmolested. And she says, you know what? These guys ain't half bad. She chooses to travel with them the next day. Now, on the road, they meet a large group of men chanting a religious boogie. (laughs) Sixty or so poor fellows, armed with cudgels, axes, and righteous indignation. They try to recruit the three knights. (laughs) They try to recruit them to the faith as sparrows, such as they are. When Sir Illifer refuses... Because, you know, they need money. They spit and moan at them. It almost seems like they're going to come to a fight, but a Septon steps in and kind of calms everything down, and they all move along their merry way. It's totally how I was as a missionary. (laughs) Yeah, spitting and moaning? Yeah, someone wouldn't join up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Is it uh, you get more flies with honey? That's right. And, and, you know, I had the the cudgel, too, that I carried around with me, so. Yes, cudgel in book form. It was pretty imposing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, further down the road, they catch yet another group headed their way. A merchant with a single knight, Sir Shadrick, and several several of the merchant's underlings. They agree to share the road to Duskendale as Shadrick convinces his companion that Brienne and the comic relief team are no threat. Oh, and they also haven't seen Sansa. Nobody has fucking seen Sansa. Nope. Another interesting character, Sir Shadrick, is known as the Mad Mouse for his tiny frame and wild behavior. <laughs> and he is a saucy, cocky one for Sir. Within minutes of them on being on the road, he sexually harasses Brienne. <laughs> More importantly, he indicates he seeks Sansa Stark in kind of a snooty way where he indicates he knows that she's also looking for him. Um, Varys is basically offering a mighty reward to whoever finds her. And all of this is much to Brienne's consternation, as she's forced to come to grips with the fact that her quarry is a popular one. She's not the only one looking, guys. So anyway, they make it to a cheap inn. They pay out for a night. Uh, it's called the Old Stone Bridge. Good name for an inn. Good name. Uh, Brienne even opts to pay for Creighton and Illifer, um, since you know they hooked her up with some trout the night before. After a meal of goat and quick peek at Oathkeeper, Brienne lays in her bed with her thoughts of Jamie waiting for the inn to grow silent and her companions to fall asleep. Then she slips away in the dark, promising to that darkness and to herself that she will find Sansa. And that's the end of the chapter. Oh, man. No promise was as solemn as one sworn to the dead. That's right. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Jamie's uh, promise to Cat, as well as her own promise to Cat, that she'd bring the daughters back. Double dipping. Double dipping, yeah. So, yeah, so she's on her way. You know, this this search, it seems it seems so impossible, right? Right. And oh, poor Brienne. I'm, I'm sure everyone listening has had these tasks before where, like, it's, it seems, like, unknown what you even have to do. There's so many questions. Like, you don't, you don't hardly even know where to start. Mm-hmm. And you, you start, and the second you start, you're like, this is wrong. This feels wrong. I'm never going to be able to do this. It's just so easy to get mentally defeated before you even get going. But Brienne is, like, perfectly suited for this task. Doggedly. Yeah. Yes. Like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. I love her. I love her. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it it, uh, it led me to a word of the day. Oh, let's hear it. Word of the day! Yeah. Brienne Trepid. <laughs> we haven't had a word of the day in a long time. Brian Trepid. Brian Trepid. Set against immeasurable odds, but facing them with grim, determined fearlessness. Grim and determined. That 
perfectly describes our dear Brienne. Yes, yes. You know, for anyone that sat sits down to read A Song of Ice and Fire to find the traditional hero knight, you know, yeah. the, that that expectation is dashed fairly quickly. Early. Yeah, yeah. you're not going to yeah. find that person. The Hound specifically, right? I, I think, was it The Hound or maybe uh, Illin Payne in the Sansa chapter in Game of Thrones pretty much dashes it to the ground, right? Sure, I think. yeah. Yeah, and all along, there she is in front of us. We've got her. It's mm-hmm. Brienne of Tarth. Yeah. In that traditional knight's sense, she's just a good person who not only is incredibly protective of people, and and she she latches onto him early, right? Like yeah. like Illifer and Creighton. Like <laughs> at first, her first thought is, "I can't trust cell swords," and then, like a page later, she's like, "Well, they're not that bad." <laughs> all all they did was not murder or rape her in the night, and she's right. like, "They're good people. These are good people." To the point where she's like, "You know what? I should leave now and keep searching for Sansa, but I can't." Because I don't want to leave them without someone watching over them. Yeah. Right? And in fact, she doesn't end up leaving them until she's got them tucked safely away in an inn, in yeah. their own beds. And then she's like, I can go now. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Although I think that also has to do with the fact that, that she way. met Sir Shadrick. No, well, and yes, but Mouse. she met yeah. Sir Shadrick and now she knows. I got to get on the road. Yeah, gotta, certainly yeah, there's an urgency going. there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I thought it was interesting how she takes care of these people and how quick she is to to not only trust but develop that protective sense for people. And the the really sad thing about all of this is Brienne is a to me in my eyes she's a hero already, right? She's a good person who has these wonderful intentions. She's a hero in my book, and she can't even see how good of a person she is and how much of a hero she is because everyone around her, her whole life has been telling her there's no way she can be one. Right. And that sucks. Yeah. That just sucks. Uh, We talk about, you know, Tyrion and and them giving in to what other people think of them. And Brienne's done that to a degree too. uh, But she's the opposite. She is a hero. To me, anyways, I agree, and it may she she just sticks to who she is, and it uh, I don't know whether that's a testament to Selwyn, uh, her dad. Mm. Um, you know, we talk a lot about you know all these people that are raised poorly or grow up too early or too quickly. It seems like she was just I don't know whether they accepted her for who she was. I don't remember the history too well, but she certainly has a strong sense of who she is mm-hmm. and sticks with it. Yep, and dogged you talked about grim determination that she's still going to be Brienne even though she yeah. hates herself and that sucks that she hates herself because she shouldn't do you think she hates herself i do i i get a lot of uh, this sense of self self-loathing not to the point that she's it's destructive but i think she's weighed down by what she feels she can't have because I, of who she is Maybe, I, I, yeah, okay, I can see that. Like, she feels like she doesn't Maybe that's deserve not quite certain the same things. Thing. Yeah. But I feel like she's almost one of those people that she's just, she's so focused on, like, what's next that she doesn't really think about things in those terms. Mm. And maybe it's just that she's been beaten down early enough that, that now she doesn't think about them anymore. Mm-hmm. But 
I don't I don't feel like she, I don't feel like she does hate herself. Maybe hate's a strong word. Maybe I'll back off that a little bit. But I do detect the sense of where she is she is doggedly determined to be her, but yeah. she can't help but go, man, though, if only this were different, right? Yeah, maybe. I mean, you get a little peek into, you know, the history. Um well, first first sort of to that point. You know, there's there's a few instances in the chapter where people mistake her for a man or whatever, right. and she just kind of brushes it off. She's like, "It's okay, it's a common mistake." Like, there's no way it doesn't hurt at some level, or it didn't hurt years ago at some mm-hmm. level, mm-hmm. and she's now just kind of got an armor up against it. Sure, um, but she just kind of brushes it off. That's, that's kind of what I mean about like, well, I, I don't I don't know that she hates it anymore. She just realizes it's the truth, and the truth is the truth to her, uh-huh. and nothing bad, nothing good. It just is what it is. Um, but but you do get the sense, you know, uh, it talks about when when Renly came came to Tarth. And uh, by the way, Brooke, if you're listening, I think I win. It clearly states she had loved him since first he came to Tarth. <laughs> wow. I mean, I'm not letting that argument go. Wow. So anyway, the, the main point, I, the reason I brought it up is... She does give a sense of that, that more of that withering flower, right? Like if he hadn't been so gracious, she would have fled to her room and been inconsolable, right? Uh-huh. And so she wasn't always this way, but she's become hardened and yeah, I think okay with who she is. I, I would say there's somewhere, oh, somewhere in between. I, maybe. Well, it'll be an interesting fight for us to have as we uh, yeah. get more of her POVs. I certainly think there's there's a callousness that's been built up, much like her friend Jamie. Uh, but I think it's still, there's still something that irks her a little. She's not completely to the point where she can brush it off easily, right? It, there's still something there that bugs her and I can't blame her. You know, I don't hold that against her. Uh, so, I mean, we all have insecurities. Yeah. And I just, I just, I just mean, I don't think she's like dwelling on them. Not, it's not to the point that it's destructive. Yeah. 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 Okay. I think our, our views are pretty established on this. We're come we're coming close. We're coming closer. <laughs> Ish. Yeah. We can fight about it on our next POV. Mm, yeah, I guess we could. Uh this was kind there's of not a, there's not a whole lot here. It's a, it's an introduction to Brienne's POV. I think that's really what it was meant to do, right? Yeah. To, yeah. We've seen Brienne for a couple books now. Here's yeah. what she's really like. Yeah. And again, I think George captures it pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you did wonder kind of in the vein of what we were just talking about, you do wonder whether she's going to be filled with a lot of self-doubt and, and self-consciousness of what she's doing. Um, you know, when you see her and you get other people's perspectives of her, you mm-hmm. know, Jamie always making comments about how terror, how weird she, you know, looks in the, the garb and, you know, things like that. So, you, you know, you, you could have had a POV where she was much less secure about all that stuff in mm-hmm. her thoughts. But you don't you don't you don't get a ton of it. In no, this in fact, that's even brought up, right? Where she's like, ah, after the stuff that Jamie Lannister said to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Can't, yeah crap. You can't hurt me. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the training, Jamie. <laughs> Good on you, buddy. Uh, yeah. Uh, the Mad Mouse. He's kind of he's, he's kind of a fun little, little yeah, sass ball. He's, he's kind of a little hero. I mean, he's a dick, but he's five two guys. Uh-huh. Five foot two. He's, he's basically dude. like Tyrion size. He's a little bit bigger than Tyrion, <laughs> and he's like say, out fighting on the Blackwater, like for good, not just leading a little sortie and running back behind the wall. Uh-huh. 
Mrs. Uh, Mrs. Matt's five three, I think, and yeah, she's short, dude. So yeah, it's a little mad yeah. mouse out there fighting at the Blackwater. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, Eowyn's five three as well. Um, yeah, interesting. So I, I just just a little funny image for for our listeners. Just imagine the Mad Mouse standing next to Brienne. Oh, you you've watched a little bit of It's Always Sunny. Uh, I've watched a very little bit. A very little sunny. bit. He yeah. he totally reminds me of of Charlie Kelly's character on that, the little short guy. Yeah, yeah. Who's kind of just a madman. He's totally that. That's who I picture, <laughs> but with redder hair. <laughs> Great. Now that's what I'm gonna do. <clears throat> yeah, you got him. You got him, buddy. Uh, so I've got something special for us here. Oh, yeah. I almost forgot about it. Well, uh, what, what, what which, is it? I'm afraid. Which, how could I forget about it? I've got a song, uh, for, for this situation. It's not what situation. It just, just this Brienne song. You'll, you'll like it. It's a cover okay. song for Ooh. Brienne. You ready? I'm re- I'm so ready. Can you hear my guitar? Yeah. But I would walk 500 miles and I would walk 500 more Just to be the gal who walked a thousand miles to find Catalin's girl But da da That's it, that's all I got Do it, Ted I think it's the delays throwing us off Yes It's fun while it lasted that's my song for for Brienne oh, right now. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Oh, yeah, she's gonna walk. I mean, like we know where Sansa is. Mm-hmm. We're about to cover it in this chapter, but and, we know that from the previous book. And there's no way she's gonna she's, find her. Just she's doing what she's close. doing. <laughs> yeah. Poor girl. Oh. I mean, like, geographically, she could be further away. Sure. But, like, mentally, she's nowhere close. Yeah. 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 You're just, like, walking around and be like, oh, I haven't tried the veil yet. I'll go try walk- knocking on the gates of the moon and see if they <laughs> let me go ask around <laughs> yeah. in there. Right. Nope. All right. Uh, it's probably a good time to move on to Sansa. Hey? Yeah, let's do it. There you go again with the hey. Hey. hey yo. Don't know when a prince will come, but surely he's gonna come for Sansa Stark. He'll be looking like a toolie and a daddy killed a wolf is Sansa Stark. So Marillion sings all the time, day and night. And because, as you remember from Tyrion's imprisonment, clear back into Game of Thrones, the fourth wall of jail cells in the Eyrie are actually open air. So the songs that he's singing can be heard throughout the castle. No matter where 13-year-old Sansa goes, she can't escape that. She can't escape the music. And although Marillion sounds great, better than ever, actually, Sansa's about had it with her former would-be rapist. Uh, when she asks Littlefinger about at least cutting down on Marillion's stage time, Peter tenderly replies that he can't, as he'd already promised that Marillion's life would be and voice would be spared if he but confesses to the killing of Lady Lysa. Uh, Peter emphasizes that even though Crazy Lysa is dead and Marillion's graciously agreed to take the blame, they're not out of this yet. We're not out of this yet, sister. Sansa's story needs to corroborate with Marillion's. 
And even though it's a lie, it's, it is kindly meant. It is a lie to spare the rest of them and ensure continued stability in the eerie. <clears throat> and while grateful to Littlefinger for keeping her alive and for being the only real ally she feels she has, Sansa can't help but be rightfully suspicious of the man who'd kissed her out in the snow, who is just now creepily complimenting her eyes and who she knows is serving her lies. Uh, Peter, her protector, and Littlefinger, she muses, are actually two very different people. He'd saved her from Lysa, yes, and had gotten her out of King's Landing. But what about when Joff had her beaten? That was Tyrion that helped. What about the mob in King's Landing? That was Sandor Clegane that had saved her. What about when she had to marry Tyrion? Garland Tyrell was the one who offered her words of comfort. I love that guy. Mm. But now the scary thing is, she's starting to find it difficult to differentiate between the two, between Littlefinger and her friend Peter Baelish. Uh, so anyways, the next day, Lord Nestor Royce, High Steward of the Vale and Keeper of the Gates of the Moon, ascends to the Eyrie to investigate Lady Liza's death. Uh, fearful that Lord Nestor will see through her lies, Sansa surprises even herself at how easily the alternative facts come spilling out of her, tears and all included. Even Peter coyly confesses, despondently taking the blame on himself by saying it was I who killed Liza because he had convinced uh, Liza to send Marillion away. And that, of course, pissed Marillion off and the death happened. And of course, Nestor's like, oh, no, don't blame yourself, Peter. Um, and by that point, it's hardly even necessary for Royce and his posse to hear Marillion's testimony, but hear it they do. And Marillion sings a sweet song, perfectly in line with Sansa and Peter's stories, saying he killed her, you know, among other things, out of jealousy. He loved her, and to hear that she was carrying Peter's child, well, it was just too much. And uh, and actually, they agreed to just to let allow Marillion to live. It kind of seems like this secondhand thing of like, ah, just put him in the sky cells. He'll eventually, you know, feel the urge to fly and he'll die anyways, but just put him back in there. So as Lord Nestor and Peter retire to get their wine on, uh, Nestor confides in Peter that the other Lords of the Vale are not going to buy this story so easily. They'll want to conduct their own investigations. Uh, Peter plays the innocent victim well, then he grabs Nestor hook, line, and sinker by saying it was Liza's will, this is Peter lying, that Lord Nestor be granted the gates of the moon, the entrance to the veil, uh, which until now was the property of the Aarons. And it's, it's not just to, for him to watch over, he'd already been doing that, but to actually have, it's going to be given to he and his family forever. Nestor had been a rock for the errands, and he deserved it, they both agreed. So later, after Royce had gone, Littlefinger sits down to have a little review lesson where he and Sansa go over the schemes they'd pulled off that day. Uh, Sansa correctly deduces that Peter gave Nestor the gates to ensure his continued support, obviously. And since the lobbyist, yep, we know how he works. And since the grant was signed by Peter himself, 
Nestor will argue against anyone trying to remove Littlefinger as Lord Protector of the Vale, as it would probably void the grant. Think back to Tyrion's promises to Shay, right? So after Peter reinforces how important it is that Sansa become Elaine, even in private, uh, she heads to bed. And later that night, Sweet Robin, who we did see through this chapter, but I haven't talked much about during this uh, this chapter summary, but Sweet Robin climbs into bed with her, as apparently he is wont to do. This has gotten awfully old for Sansa, who has to endure Sweet Robin's tendency to motorboat and also wet the bed. Uh, but tonight she allows it. Uh, and then he asks her rather tenderly, remember this poor little boy has just lost his mother. He asks Sansa if she is his mother now, and Sansa replies that she supposes she is, reasoning that if a lie was kindly meant, there was no harm in it. And that's the chapter. Man, Sansa's in a weird place, dude. Sansa is in a weird place. She's in a really weird place. Yeah. And it's scary. It is. Uh, she doesn't have a whole lot, a whole lot of choices. Right. <laughs> it's kind of like, well, uh, play along with Peter or Littlefinger, whoever this guy is, because um, he's my ally. And Peter right? knows that too, right? He knows she doesn't yeah. have choices. Yeah. And he uses it. He capitalizes on that. He does. His game with her is still weird. Hmm. I, yep, it's weird. It's creepy. Well, very creepy. Yeah, I mean, the way he talks about her as his daughter, mm -hmm. also flirts with her, also continuously compares her to the one he loved, uh, I mean, it, which she knows, and so therefore must, through transitive property, feel like he's coming on. It's creepy, man. It's really creepy. Uh, I, we talk about the Creeper Award, and I, I think T, I think Peter really is the runaway winner. <laughs> I, he's just creepy. There are other people that are worse, but he he's he's like towing that creepy line constantly. It's it's, it's a consistent creepiness. I agree. Yeah. yeah. In terms of just being able to keep it up all the time, yeah, yeah he just yeah. always manages to stay like, creepy. Man, aren't you tired? Creeping is busy work. <laughs> Oh, that's that, actually that's a that's a note that I made, not just in regard to the creepiness, but I, how has Peter been able to keep up the shtick? We talked before about what he does, right? To, how busy he must be yeah. all the time, and living these these double lives and doing all these things and behind the back stuff and all of this uh, reach arounds. It's how does he not just like have a heart attack? I wouldn't be able to do it for as long yeah. and consistently as he does. Just constant scheming and constantly having to remember the lies you've told and keep up with them and all this stuff. It's amazing the capacity this man has to to stay on top of all that. Yeah, there there are humans that operate on another level of energy than what i have you and i both I, buddy we work we work with a few of them i think and not not comparing them to peter in the lying manipulation sure. way mm -hmm. or the creepy way but just from the energy perspective of how much they're doing all the time mm -hmm. uh, like the more they do the more energy they have it's weird man yeah it like gives them like gives them extra energy right uh it drains I, yeah, us like, it feeds them 
I feel like Peter's that way, and I still, I still question, like, why? <laughs> I still don't know what his motivation is at all. It, it, like, is it just the standard, I want more land and more power? Because it seems like there's something deeper than that. Yeah. Yeah, it's Peter, hard. it's Davos after dark stuff, but... Yeah. Uh, well, you look at what he's achieved right now, and it, it lists it off at the beginning of the chapter. He's the Lord of yeah. Harrenhal, mm-hmm. Lord Paramount of the Trident, and now Lord Protector of the Eyrie and the Vale of Arryn. Like, it's uh, it, nothing to shake a stick at. It, it's nothing to shake a stick at, and it's also not very pointed directionally, right? It's just like in Monopoly, where you're trying to buy as many of the expensive properties as you can, but there's no, like, rhyme or reason or strategy to your game, right? You're just like, buy them, buy them, buy them. I can do it, so I'm going to do it. Buy it, buy, buy. Amass everything you can. Right. It it almost seems like that's what he's trying to do, because he's not making a power play for the actual throne, at least not yet. Maybe he's trying to build up a resume to the point that he can. But um, and gathering allies, yeah, certainly this thing this with Nestor would do that, and slow game, how slow he's burning game, manipulating, but also gaining uh, Sansa's trust, and mm-hmm. all, also this—I don't know if we're ready to move on to the what are his goals thing, but also this thing no, with Marillion, which is a yep. little weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like keeping him alive, keeping him alive. Marillion is go- going along with this for some reason. Mm-hmm. I um, not to be defingered i guess i mean musicians uh i've mentioned i'm reading the king killer chronicles and the main character in that is a fantastic musician and he's constantly worried about his hands and like ruining them right um because he plays the lute and uh you know maybe he's just maybe the threat was enough maybe there's nothing in it for him other than don't break my hands please um yeah, yeah I, I, it seems it seems to me like maybe there's more to it. Like Peter has, has talked to this guy with all of his ba- with all of Peter's boundless energy. He's gone to the cells and talked to this guy and uh, worked something out. I don't know what, but mm-hmm. Merlin's far too pleasant for the situation he's in. Yeah, we don't know what kind of stuff Merlin's made of yet. Yeah, he could be pretty easy to push around. But I agree with you. I wouldn't put it past uh, Peter offering him something. It's not just the pushed around part. It's his attitude. Hmm. He's he's He seems reasonably happy at his situation. Like, you think so? I don't know. I didn't, th- I didn't get the impression when he came out in front of everybody that he was like, I don't know, like broken, mm-hmm. you know, or like defeated or depressed or... I don't know. Did yeah, you? he definitely he put on a, a different face, and it even talks about how you know he got all dressed up and everything, and and all that. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. There could definitely anyway, be something just, going on so, there. There's just something weird about it. I mean, why not just take the damn loot from him if it's keeping your whole castle awake? <laughs> like, let him play. I mean. Yeah. But yeah, we'll see where uh, where this all goes. Like you said, we definitely know just the whole Sansa thing in general. We know that Peter's gonna he's got Winterfell in his in his mind along with everything else, and it's it's just weird to me. Yeah. Well, your uh, your your chapter title or your episode title came from this chapter. It did. Yeah. And that lying is a uh, 
a theme throughout this chapter. Mm -hmm. And we see her, you know, there are some, it's, it's not a bad thing. I I know I've told some kindly meant lies, right? Sure. Uh, But I think it just highlights uh, the, just the path, the scary path that Sansa's going down of yeah the tricky path of you know she's starting to find it hard to differentiate between the two peters like i said and yeah and at what point does the same thing happen with the constant lies and living the double lives and stuff like that yeah the 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 dual identity thing is it feels a little stockholmsian to me uh, sure it's kind of it's kind of like making an excuse for the bad side of the things that this mm-hmm. person does Right? Like, oh, he's good, except this other person does these other things. It's not really right? him. It's not really him. He wants to be this good person, right? right. I don't know. I don't think she's all the way there or anything, but it felt a little bit that way. Mm-hmm. She she likes him too much. She she likes Peter way too much for what she should know he is. Right? Uh, let's, it goes back to, to what we were talking about before, that he knows that she's in that situation, right? And he's perhaps put her in that situation intentionally to get her to think that way about him. Yeah. Right. For sure. Thinking even yeah. the, she's like, well, Oswell knows who I am and Lothar Brun, you know, obviously knows who she is too. But even he says, well, they're not your friends. I, I have them, you know, they watch over each other. They keep tabs on each other so they don't rat you out and stuff. They're not going to stick up for right. you. Right. right. I'm it. I'm all you got girl. And this, this poor 13 year old girl is, she she really doesn't have a ton of choice, like you said. Yeah, right. Mm. Yeah, he he gives her what I think is a huge lesson. Tell lies that people want to hear, that mm. people want to believe. Mm-hmm. You can get away with so much lying if you're telling people lies that they truly want to believe. Mm-hmm. That's lying 101. Yeah, tell them what they want to hear. Yeah. Yeah, which is the opposite of what Ned told Arya, mm. which, you know, I don't know if he ever told Sansa this too, but Ned talked to Arya way back in game about honorable lies. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think this lie has much honor to it. But part of, part of, but you mentioned Sansa kind of going down a dark path. Part of going down a dark path is justifying things to yourself. Exactly, yeah. And she's justified this fr- this murder frame job that they're doing by saying, well, he was going to rape me, so this isn't that bad. Mm-hmm. And, you know, rape's pretty terrible. <laughs> but these are not, you know, if I can get all Stannis-y for a minute, these are separate things. You know, punish them for the rape. You can't pin a murder on them because of that, right? right. That's not the punishment for rape um, or attempted rape or whatever. And uh, she's she's very much just trying to justify this in her brain. And, you know, maybe because she doesn't have a whole lot of choices, but it's a little scary, like you said. Yeah, and she sees, well, it's worked for Peter. Look at him. Yeah. Yeah. True. All right. Mm. Well, you get the feeling that uh, trouble's on the horizon. The Lords of the Vale don't love Peter. Uh, so I'm interested to see where that goes. Yeah. And rightfully so, right? This guy just marches into the veil and all of a sudden he's their oh, boss. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, people hate that shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. 
I don't know. I, yeah, the, the people of the Vale kind of, they kind of, they seem to hate anyone that has the Aaron's favor. Like they hate each other. They hate Marillion. When, <laughs> when they're the ones in the fa- in favor. Yeah, Marillion is, well, Marillion's kind of a dick. He, uh, it said, Tyrion, I think, said to himself or, or said multiple times about himself that uh, his tongue would be his undoing. Right. And Marillion like made up songs about these people and like mocked them to their faces oh, for sure protected by Lysa for sure and this is back back a little bit to put to the lies they want to believe they're all totally willing to believe Marillion did this they hate him already mm-hmm. you know like they're <laughs> they're all in sure Marillion did it I hate that guy yep sounds good it. yep yeah yeah but but they're they are they are kind of you know the, the Vale's an interesting place they've Kept out of the war. Yep. They haven't been that involved. Uh, they're kind of just squabbling for scraps right after Aaron's death. And they just kind of, they just kind of all seem to just kind of not get along really well. Yeah, I'd agree with that. You got anything else here? Uh, nope. I'm good. One, one more just little quote. Men of honor will do things for their children that they would never do for themselves. Littlefinger said that. And uh, despite not being a man of honor, he certainly understands them. Good little quote. Yeah, maybe that's uh, maybe one of that's, that's one of Peter's greatest strengths is he gets people, right? He yeah. gets what makes yeah. them tick. It's a valuable skill. Mm-hmm. All right, should we go to Bran? Sure, let's do it. Five, six, seven. Brandon Stark, won't you come back down from that tower your mind's been flying from? Your legs don't work, but they don't really need to work when that third eye's showing you the ways unexplored. And the summer's gonna come, you know it's gonna come, summer's gonna come, and boy, you're gonna fly away. Uh, this group has been traveling together for a long time. Um, from Winterfell to where they are now, they know each other's strengths and weaknesses. They know each other's laughs and sighs, but now that they're beyond the wall, things are a little bit different. They themselves are quiet. The wood is silent. Even Hodor senses it, but they press on grimly. Uh, Cold Hands leads them astride his great elk, with Jojen and Mira behind him riding. Hodor trails them with Basket Bran uh, equipped. That's Brodor. Um, Summer brings up the rear, and Bran alternates from his own skin to Summer's and even to Hoders while they travel to take advantage of Summer's better senses, or just kind of mix it up when he's bored, it seems like, to be honest. Uh, they're intermittently surrounded by ravens that come and go in groups and seem to be able to communicate with the creepy-as-fuck cold hands. Uh, it becomes apparent uh, through these birds that they're being followed, and cold hands stays behind to handle it, sending the rest of the party ahead uh, to a nearby uh, frozen-over fishing village. As they continue on without cold hands, they all kind of start talking about how, how uneasy he makes them feel. Mira thinks he hasn't been leading them anywhere, in fact, that, that they might be going in circles. His hands are weird. He hides his face. He won't give them a name, a real name. He never eats or drinks. He doesn't f- seem to feel the cold. The skeptical ward goes to Mira, but Bran mm. isn't that far behind. Mm-hmm. He also thinks that it doesn't seem like he sleeps either. Mentions that his breath doesn't show in the freezing air like everyone else. And he starts thinking, like, what if he's not alive? What if he's one of old man's monsters? But in the end, Bran overcomes his doubts. He insists that Cold Hands is doing as he promised, 
citing Sam as evidence of Coldhand's trustworthiness. They do end up finding a lake, but they wouldn't have found the village before nightfall if not for Bran and Wolf's clothing. Uh, he wargs uh, Summer and uh, sniffs it out. Uh, they find the village and take shelter. Uh, they suck on ice and eat acorn paste while Summer goes off for a hunt. Bran then curls up and tries to sleep, but instead finds himself inside Summer. He has the scent of a kill. Not elk. Not deer. Not this. Not like this. Not like this. As Bran realizes it is human that Summer is about to sup on. Human in black cloaks. But first he must earn his meal, for One Eye, you remember One Eye, and his pack found it first. A short warg and wolf battle bout later. Remember, Varamir is in One Eye at this point. And the pack is his. The kill is his, and he sups mightily. Bran is awakened mid-feast by the heat and smell of a fire. Cold Hands has brought a sow! Before digging in, though, he accuses Cold Hands of killing the Night's Watchman, and the accusations pour out from there. Who are you? The fucking hands, yo! What's up with the fucking hands? After getting the scientific answer in response, that blood travels to extremities and congeals, Bran proclaims that Cold Hands is dead. That simply, Cold Hands is dead. In the presence of the dead, things unravel a bit even more, as they are wont to do. Who sent you? Who is the three-eyed crow? A friend, he ensures. The last green seer. A monster, Bran replies. Your monster, Brandon Stark, Cold Hands finishes. Should they still follow him? Yes, Jojen insists. We go with Bran's monster or we die. And that is the end of the chapter. Fun choices. Yeah, fun choices. Uh going with kind of a theme i think uh for this episode mm-hmm. people without a lot of choices they're kind of under other people's control you know we got cersei who's now uh facing a power vacuum and is you know she's still in control a bit but she's got a lot of forces kind of working against her and she's got a lot less control now that tywin's out of the way right uh you got uh tyrion who is trapped essentially in this Pentoshi estate not knowing what's going to happen or what he's supposed to do or what's going to be done with him uh you have brienne who's not trapped in a sense other than by her circumstance of having a nearly impossible yeah, task being her <laughs> and, and being her uh and and thus not able to leave that task <laughs> yep. without sacrificing her duty and honor uh you have sansa who we just talked a lot about being trapped with no options and you have these kids stuck in the cold in a land they don't know anything about with basically a what appears to be a monster uh, and their choices freeze or follow him. Right. Um, it's an interesting set of chapters with that theme running throughout. Good point. Yep. Yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah, not, not a lot of, not a lot of great choices. Mm-hmm. Uh, some interesting stuff in here. Um, we've talked about brands, skin changing, um, when it says literally, when he was tired of being a wolf, he would take Hodor. It's kind of like, kind of cavalier. Ooh, yeah. Eh, I'll try this next. It sounds sounds fun. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he just. You know, we we talked last last episode yeah, we about. We just had the Varamir chapters. Yes, exactly. Talking about Worgen humans. Exactly. And how that's an abomination, and clearly Brand does not have that training to know that. Right. Um, 
and doesn't sense it at all somehow. Um, yeah, so so we got that going on, but but you know you can't you can't be too upset at the skin changing. It does save them. They would not have found that village probably without oh yeah without Bran warging mm-hmm. summer. It's not a bad thing. It's just the the willy nilliness of it all. Yes, the attitude yeah. of it. Which he's a kid and he can do this amazing thing. You can't fault him too much for, and like you said, without any sort of structure being built into the way that he acts, it's by someone in authority. It's this cool new thing that he can do and why not do it? But for us reading it from our perspectives, we've, there's a sense of caution. I think George wanted us to have that sense of foreboding and, and everything by giving us the Veramir chapter, right? Yes. Yeah, ex- absolutely. Mm. Yeah. But yes, it does save them. Yeah. And, and this chapter, go ahead. I was going to just comment more on his connection with his dire wolf. He's, I am him and he is me. He feels what I feel. And, uh, you know, the only other ward connection we have is Varamir that we know about in particular. And do you think the Stark connection with direwolves is deeper than just normal wargs? Uh, normal wargs, I don't know if is the best way to describe them. But I just feel like maybe the Stark connection with the direwolves of I am him, he's me, we feel the same thing together. There's this real connection that's maybe more more powerful than than other connections yeah i mean i've said this i think i think before i feel like i feel like the stark kids whether it's the stark kids that are special or the wolves that are special something about this is special Mm -hmm. i don't know which side it is um maybe it's both both. yeah yeah could be uh and then even beyond that i also think bran is special um bran seems to have even more an even more innate sense of of how to do this and feels more natural doing it. Right. Right. So yeah, I I think yes. Hmm. Uh Cold Hands goes oh, to hunt man. and we get this uh Bran has this realization that they're Night's Watchmen. Yeah. I think we got a little clue as to what Night's Watchmen they were. They were the guys at Craster's. Makes sense. What what uh, what clue? What what's the clue? Well, I looked at the 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 map in the Land of Ice and Fire, and I think I found the direction that they were headed. Coldhand says, "Okay, follow the river up north, and then you'll come to a lake." And on the 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 released maps in the Lands of Ice and Fire maps, if you look at the the ones beyond the wall, there is the river, and it turns to go north, and it leads to a little lake. And that lake is not incredibly far from Craster's Keep. It's not right, not right next door. There'd be a pretty significant amount of travel, but nothing crazy. Uh, so that made me go, hmm, that's not too far off. But well, then... have to. I mean, it'd have to be a reasonable distance. I right. Mean, that was a long time ago. I right. Mean, Sam made it all the way back to the wall. I mean... On through, and then they made it all the way back up there and all that. Yeah. But yeah. we don't know how long mutineers stayed at Craster's. Did they just stay till True. food ran out and then they left? True. Or did some guys leave? Otherwise, we don't know what's happened after Sam left. Uh, the other one 
is just this little tiny thing. He mentions that one of the guys had uh, was missing a hand and the stump was wrapped in leather. Olo Lophand was described mm. to have wrapped his stump of a hand in leather. Ah. It specifically points that out. And we know that Olo was one of the mutineers. He's actually the one, if I remember correctly, that delivered the killing blow to Jay or Mormont. Uh, um, so maybe bastard. a tiny little clue there that that's who yeah. it was. So I'd say that's more than a tiny clue. Yeah. Good sleuthing, Matt. Yeah. So good riddance to him. Glad they're dead. Indeed. Indeed. Oh, I, I, you know, I, I gotta be honest. I don't have a ton for this chapter. I don't uh, either. It feels it, this chapter has horror movie written all over it. You know, wandering around in the wilderness, in the cold, uh-huh. monsters, a giant elk. Maybe that's, I don't know, that's a little Disney. I don't know, but uh, yeah, kind of a kind of a freaky chapter. It, you get, I just kind of got a sense of dread reading the whole thing. Um, Good call. Yeah, definitely dread. But I don't know, not not a whole lot going on. You get more of Jojen's, uh, you know, destiny stuff. This is not the day I die. Um, mm-hmm. you know, he seems very resolved on the path they're taking, um, despite its difficulty. Um, I don't know. Do, do you have anything really to weigh in on all the, the monster business at the end? No. <laughs> your Your monster, Brandon Stark. Right, which goes to say... Which is referring to the the last greens here, the friend, right? right. And it's, as he's saying, your monster, because there's, you know, there's that connection between you two, or your monster in that, okay, you're calling him a monster, so yeah, he's your monster, but maybe he's not a monster to me. I don't know, but... Or, or, or he's your personal monster. Mm-hmm. He's the one... You know, <laughs> you got to deal with you. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. <clears throat> this is going to be your problem, buddy. Right. Yeah. Better you than me. Or I even thought of like Frankenstein's monster, like it's a monster of Brand's Brand's creation. creation. Mm, interesting. Which, I don't know how that would be, but um, anyway, I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, like you said, in the in regards to the horror thing. Uh, one other thing that I don't watch a lot of horror movies, which I've revealed here. I just don't like the way that they make me feel. And one of the <laughs> feelings that horror movies instill in you purposefully is that sense of you need to do something right now. You need to do something right now. Don't just stand around. You, you're you yeah. going to die if you keep doing what you're doing. Stop it. Stop it. Run upstairs. <laughs> Run right. upstairs. Do, just turn around. Right. Don't answer the phone. All these different things. Uh, and with them, you get that sense, too. It's just how much longer can they go on like this? They are freezing. They're eating acorn paste. I don't even know what that is. It sounds like a terrible version of peanut butter. Um, that's also the sense that you get that wherever they're going, they've got to get there fast because they can't keep going on like this. And that just adds that sense of anxiety and urgency to the whole chapter. Yeah. Except Hodor. I feel like that dude could just withstand anything. He could just go. He's just like, yeah, I'm I'm going to go all the way to the lands of always winter. He just goes until he can't go no more. Yeah. Good on him. Good on you, yeah. Hodor. Yeah, that's all I have to say about that. 
Me too. I I, don't, I really don't. Have, I didn't have much for this chapter. It's an interesting uh, chapter. But. Yeah. Is it? I don't know. I mean, you, it, it's it's holy shit. They're north of the wall now, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And this is what it's like for them to be north of the wall. But yeah, this isn't where uh, they get. You don't you don't know where they're going. It seems like aimlessness. It's yeah. This isn't a Lord of the Rings type journey where they're just walking and they never get tired and their clothes never get dirty and they always seem well fed and they're just walking along. Uh, yeah. Well, maybe Fellowship of the Rings. It gets pretty dire there for Sam and Frodo, at least, and once they get to Mordor. But yeah, it's just like they're going on this little jaunt through Middle Earth. No, no. This is definitely no. not how it is for these kids right now. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay, time for Davos After Dark. Let us do it, my friend. All right, thanks everybody for joining us for this episode. It's now time for us to enter into our spoilery section. Uh, We call that Davos After Dark. Uh, If you don't want to be spoiled, just jump off now. We're going to play the little jingle here. And uh, yeah, uh, please make sure to join us in three weeks for our next Feast with Dragons, a Feast with Dragons episode. Uh, It will be chock full of more stuff, five chapters from the two books. So now it's time for Davos After Dark. Davos After Dark. A fucking dude. <laughs> dude. Uh, let's just stay on the brand trail then. How did Cold Hands find a pig where they're not finding anything else? I don't buy it. Yeah. I think he's uh, feeding them human. I, I only had one other thought beyond he's feeding them human. Hmm. That Blood Raven skin changed a pig and brought it to them knowing how dire their situation was. Could he have gotten a pig there? I don't know. Why not? Uh, have you found one around? A pig I, I mean, could survive in those conditions? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I, I mean... Some something lives up there, right? I guess. Craster's got pigs. They are close to Craster's, if my theory's correct. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe. Um, okay. Maybe. I mean, but you know, but he's sheltering them and stuff, like keeping them warm somehow. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. I, it was the only other thought I had. Uh, other than that, it was like, oh yeah, pig meat, human. You know, that's close. Yeah. Which we know that he killed these men. Yeah, uh, and. I mean, obviously you don't want to be eating other people, but is there something more sinister behind, you know, eating people? Uh, there's the whole Jojen paste theory out there, right? That the paste that the that Blood Raven gives to Bran uh, is actually, that's Jojen's blood in there. Yeah, soil and greenest people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so is that part of this whole, uh, we know that the children of the forest, there was, well, I think we've heard that there's an element of, uh, that sacrifice was a thing back then, um, human sacrifice. And, uh, you know, is there something more sinister going on? Like we've said before, I can't remember if you agree with me or not, but I, I worry about the path brands on the word that I use to describe it is sinister. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't sit right with me. Yeah, it doesn't sit right with me either. Um, I didn't think I didn't think anything, even if they're eating human, I didn't think of it as anything sinister. Right. This part of it, just that Blood Raven needs to get him alive 
to himself and this then is do what you have things. right <laughs> so here's meat um this will sustain it, him sure uh, yeah but it could be something something more than that mm-hmm. giving him a taste for human flesh i don't know uh, i that that sounds that sounds much more uh horror filmy doesn't it right like indoctrinating him into human flesh preparing him for the ceremony is something yeah, i don't know i i don't know i don't know that it's that i don't know that it's that dark um who knows I just see it as a, a way to feed them and keep them alive to get them there but it's so interesting be. how germ has managed to turn this on its head for you and me and and probably other readers as well that it starts out when brand starts having these these three-eyed crow dreams and stuff it's this it's this cool yeah. thing right where he's able to see all this stuff and everything and yeah. then Guys, he can't walk, but he's going to fly, you guys. This is so neat. It's so great. There's light at the end of the tunnel for Bran. Now it's like... Now it's like, this feels wrong. (laughs) The only thing that changed is the weather, but it feels wrong. (laughs) I don't feel happy right now. Uh, So, yeah. Interesting where that goes. Okay. Uh, Okay. Anything else on that? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. I'm, I'm I'm voting for pig. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm voting for human. For human. I, yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. Okay. Let's knock one off real quick. That is just fun. Skinny okay. boy atop a piebald horse who is spotted yeah. twice in Brienne's chapter. Yay. Who could that be? Hmm. Yay for Podrick. Their little Podrick pain. He's out yeah. searching I mean, for, uh, t- to... for his master. It... There are so few like genuinely good people uh, in this series, and George just decided to throw them together. Put both of them together. Forget this yeah. odd couple stuff that's been <laughs> happening before. Yeah. Let's yeah. get let's make this happen. Yeah, Brandon Pot, the two best characters uh, morally in the story, maybe Davos. And we find out later that Tyr- that Podrick is just so devoted to Tyrion for one reason or another. I mean, yeah. Tyrion was always nice to him, but was he that? He wasn't that nice, right? He like mocked him and like he teased him I mean, all he, the time, and it was he good. Did nature, the, there was but... the whole Dornish thing where he's like encouraging him with the flags and stuff, mm-hmm. with the banners. He he was good to him, ish. Like what what was he, what was Podrick's home life like that Tyrion stood out that much to him as someone he wanted to stick with? I I don't know. Makes you but wonder. It, but it, it is interesting because you get uh I didn't expect to go down this rabbit hole. Uh you get so many views of Tyrion, right? Mm-hmm. He's in court and there's several POVs that look at him and give their opinions of him and everything. That's true. Um and you get all these views of him. But Podrick saw more of him, right? The mm-hmm. unguarded him and loves him. Yeah. Right? Loves him. To the point that he's out trying to find Sansa as well, just so that he can find Tyrion. Yeah. And, right. Oh, what a kid. Yeah. A good yeah. kid. Yep. It's like, oh, uh, well, he's my he's my master, and I I guess I'll just go find him, I guess. <laughs> like that could be a an excuse to start over, but not to pod. Nope. Yeah. I gotta find what works, and, and Tyrion, Tyrion worked. Uh, 
you brought up an interesting question and let's go ahead and knock this one out too because I think it's interesting and I don't have an answer for it. So this this bed warmer or this whore that, uh, that Tyrion is given by Illyrio, he, Illyrio says that she was bought to please the king. Which king? Well, actually she says that to Tyrion. Um, that she was bought to please the king. I thought Illyrio and, said that later at dinner. Like, oh, he might have to, said it too. Yeah, right? where he's like, I bought her to please the king and, or something if you like want that. me to pause, I'll look. No, that's fine. It doesn't matter. I, I it's feel like said. she said it to him, but... It's said, um, yeah. It must be, because it, the the whole reason that I brought it up is that, um, is that I feel like she still calls Viserys the king. But do you think it's Viserys? She still calls him that. I do. There isn't a king of Pentos, right? Right. It's all princes. They have a prince. Right. So but it's no never explicitly there. stated that it's Viserys. Who else would it be? I don't know. Did Robert Baratheon ever come to Pentos? Because she speaks the common tongue. Well, she was trained in, in the pleasure houses of Lys, and they right. train they trained them in that, um, I think. I don't know. I, I Maybe I jumped to that conclusion too quickly. Um but um, I mean, it's didn't... definitely one of the top candidates because who else could it be, right? Well, so using it, assuming it's true, what I the reason I brought it up is that it if if she's referring to Viserys and still calling him the king at this point, it's interesting that that unless Illyrio is like purposefully feeding her that kind of thing, uh, it's interesting that that just kind of seeped. That culture just seeped down into her mm. in, from in all levels of Lyrio's house. That that the Targaryens are the true kings. Right. This isn't just this isn't just some pro, something I'm propping up or like doing because it might benefit me somehow. It's like no, these are the real kings, and everyone in my house will speak of them that way. Right. Could be. It's it's just kind of interesting. It it maybe it may it maybe hints at his loyalties. Absolutely. Should we talk about that? Should we segue into it? Illyrio sure. and Varys? Who sure. do they support? What's going on? Because as we kind of learn later, Illyrio wants Aegon on the throne, right? Yes. Is that is that your other candidate? No. I'm just saying that king? that would put him at odds with Viserys being the king. It would, yes. Right. Uh, unless Illyrio's trying to play the game even with his servants, where even, you know, like Peter said, you've got to be Elaine all the time. Uh, even Illyrio, even in private, was like, right. yeah, Viserys is who I support. But, right. Uh, there's the popular Blackfire theory where yes. that, that postulates that this Aegon kid, or who's posing as Aegon, is actually Illyrio's son, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. With his second wife, Sarah. Who was a prostitute in lace who had blonde hair streaked with silver. Targaryen-ish right. features, right? Right, yep. So, uh, and that would explain, what was what did Illyrio say about how, uh, what is it that he says about the Golden Company that some contracts are written in? Oh, some, some contracts are written in ink and some are written in blood. In blood. 
Because because that's a question we've asked before is what's Illyrio's deal with Westeros? Why does he even care? He says it was because Viserys would make him master of coin. But as we'd established in this episode and we've talked about before, he doesn't need – plenty of money. He doesn't yeah. need the money in Westeros. <laughs> he could finance the throne room or the throne. <laughs> he totally right? could. He could give them loans. Right. Uh, it, but yeah, it seems it, like it, it goes back like to that a, blood thing. If there's Whether it's him or Varys mm-hmm. who's – got or both mm-hmm. uh that has a deeper a deeper reason mm-hmm. there is a deeper reason yes and you know i mean it the deeper reason could be well as rich as i am if i'm behind the person sitting in the iron throne i'm gonna be richer still that could be the reason and it could still just be a you know a sure a, a false thing mm-hmm. and they're you know they're not black fires or anything they're just trying to pretend that way but it makes from it from i i'm all i'm you know i'm always talking about you know the literary reasons for things right narrative purpose Mm -hmm. and narratively narratively it makes way more sense if they've got some sort of blood in the game blood in the game yeah yeah i suppose we should maybe step back a little bit uh for those that aren't familiar with the black fire theory google it and you'll find all sorts of good stuff on it um I would point to uh, some of Brendan B. Fish's writings. He's uh, he's, got he's gone through there. it thoroughly and has some good writings on it. We could probably link to some of it if we needed to. Uh, I feel, I feel but, like pick your poison. I mean, we're about the only we're about the only group that hasn't really covered the Blackfire theory. <laughs> you you like history of Westeros? They've got it. You like Radio Westeros? I think they they've covered got it. it. You yeah. Like, B. Fish, go read his stuff. I mean, everybody's talked about it. Kind of our theory on stuff like that is if someone's already said it really well, there's no reason for us to re-say it, right? Um, I, I take it one step further. If somebody's already said it, there's no use in us <laughs> embarrassing ourselves trying to do it. Right. Well, there's nothing more we could, <laughs> Maybe that's selling ourselves short. Maybe if we really yeah, put ourselves to it, we can figure something else out. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll defer to the writer of the great Red Wedding essay and agree with that. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but the whole idea is that Illyrio explicitly states that the Blackfire line died with Malus the Monstrous. Uh, the Blackfire line being this offshoot line of bastards, bastard Targaryen children. And there's a big war in Westeros and everything. You can go read all about it. But there's no mention of the female line being wiped out. So the theory stipulates that Sarah, Illyrio's wife, was he, he a Blackfire from the all female of them, line. Right? Right, yes. He legitimized all of them. So, go ahead, before he died. Yeah, the the king did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just, and that's basically it. The theory is that Sarah was a Blackfire uh, from the female line, and they had a child together named Aegon. And uh, we know that Illyrio loved this woman um, enough to even put his, his reputation on the line as a magister of Pentos and everything to uh to to marry this former prostitute and he carries around a picture of her still and everything uh we know he's extremely fond of of young griff who's actually aegon he's called never a nobler lad he knows what kind of candy griff likes and he Tyrion notes that he sounds oddly sad whenever he talks about young griff and stuff so that's the idea um Beefish goes so far. You talked about whether it's Illyrio or Varys who has maybe more skin in the game. Beefish postulates that Varys could be a son of Magor, 
who is the son of Arion Brightflame, who spent yeah. some time over in the Free Cities, which would make potentially uh, Illyrio and Varys brothers-in-law, if right. all of this is true. Which uh, yeah, I just adds. I couldn't that remember all stuff. the details, but I remember there was right. word out there that he was also a in that line somewhere. Well, we talk about similar to Can uh, Duncan Egg, perhaps the reason Varys shaves his head is to hide his Targaryen features. Right. Perhaps. Anyways, uh, so so what are they doing? What are their plans? Do they support Viserys? Do they support Aegon? Is a little bit of both? Um, well, and, and maybe just in the context of this episode, what's their plan with Tyrion? Yeah. How does he come into this? Well, what, what do they value with him? Or was it just kind of like a happy accident they're like oh yeah cool he can he can teach him about westeros or something mm-hmm. i it was kind of weird anyway sorry i didn't want to mean to go away from your bigger point Ask no the question again uh who are they supporting varus says that he supports targaryens he tells kevin lannister that um the idea kind of is that uh when Ares was the king the king before king robert varus is kind of inserted almost as a mole into king's landing with Illyrio remaining in Pentos, maybe to like just provide financial backing and stuff. And the whole idea, of course, is to sow discord against the uh, Targaryen dynasty back then to one day bring back the Blackfires in as the saviors. But things come crashing down too quickly because of this guy named Big Bobby Baratheon who goes and starts a war, right? And sends the Targaryens uh, crashing down too quickly. It's just this uh, quick, quick side note. Sorry, we already mentioned Radio Westeros on. once, but if uh-huh. you love Triple B like I do, go listen to their uh, their Robert Baratheon episode. It's uh, fantastic. Excellente as always, on par with yeah. their always excellent work. I loved it. Yeah, they they treat uh-huh. him. Uh, he he's a sorry sidebar. He's kind of a complicated character, and um, a lot of people don't treat him that way. And I think they do a really even handed job of talking about the man he was the man he ended up being, but mm-hmm. also kind of how he got there. I think they do a really good job in that episode. So check it out. You are a resident uh, Bobby Baratheon expert, so. I'm not an expert, just a fanboy. Well, well, yeah. <laughs> uh, So if they're trying to bring down the Targaryens, why would they support Viserys and Danny? There's this whole line of questions we could spend probably all night talking about it. Sorry, say it again. If they're trying to support what? If they're trying to bring down the Targaryen throne, that's what I just postulated, that the whole reason they're in during the reign of Ares was to help sow discord amongst the Targaryen rule to someday bring in a black fire rather than the main line of Targaryens. It's, it's, It's the flaw in the whole theory to me. And I sometimes with these theories, they go so deep that I just give up, right? But... (laughs) But here's here's the question that brings down the whole thing to me. Hmm. Why give her the eggs? He, You've asked that, this before. That, yeah. Have I? So mm-hmm. if if you're not supporting them, if you're not supporting the Targaryens, and not your own version of the Targaryens, but the, the Danny Viserys Targaryens, why give her the eggs? I know even, even if you think they're stones, why not give her something else around the house? Right? Yeah. you gotta, you got loads of money you can find something else like that meant something that was a meaningful gift even if they didn't hatch 
it was a, which you know I don't know whether you expected that or not, but it's a meaningful gift even just from a historical perspective. Keep those for your own Blackfire line as you, as a memento. Do you right? think the only and this is kind of a weak retort, but I'll bring it up because it's something and it's all I can really think of, meaning that I mostly agree with you that it is weird, is that uh, it's mentioned before that one of those eggs could buy a huge army and perhaps that's why he gave them to her, was to give her that, rather than make her travel with a buttload of cash to accomplish those means, if he did want her to get some sort of army give well, her the why egg, does he want her to have an some... army? To if take... he wants the Blackfires to win, then mm-hmm. why does he want her to have an army? Yes, 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 yes. I thought about it. Uh, they know, uh, well, the army thing. If she goes to Westeros, f- even 40,000 Dothraki screamers probably isn't enough to win. Yep. Uh, and we've talked about even the logistics of that. How do you yep. feed an army like that on yep. the warpath? But he doesn't need them to go over there to win. He just needs them to go over and cause chaos as a bad Targaryen, right? A quote-unquote bad Targaryen. And then that, along with the Varys-engineered civil war, is going to weaken Westeros and pave the way for the savior, a good Targaryen, the Blackfire, to come in. So I feel like you can't just put the Blackfire in because King Robert has enough supporters and everything that if the Blackfire just came in, they'd be like, no, things are going all right with King Robert. We're, we're cool. But if you have already weakened things and you bring in these other guys and everything, all of a sudden this Blackfire can come in and look really good, right? Uh, yeah. And that's why we had that conversation clear back in game of thrones where Varys and illyrio are talking and air and aria overhears and how they talk about how they need to slow things down and and everything because robert's rebellion is or not robert's rebellion at that point it's the war of the five kings that's broken out uh that's moving along way too quickly for them yeah right because they need to speed up the invasion so then they then they stage the poisoning to piss drogo off so he'll get over to Westeros faster. That plan's dashed because Drogo dies. <laughs> yeah. It's just a series of uh, unfortunate events. But I think what changed it for them was, was when they found out about the dragons. I think Danny wasn't that important to him. Of course, yeah. the egg thing is a valid point that you make. But uh, I really don't think that she was that important to him until the dragons came along. Right? Obviously. Yeah. It, it's a It's a good argument. Uh, the eggs as money, uh, you know. Sweet. In, 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 well, I don't know. I think uh, it is. <laughs> I'm, I'm a D&D fan, and one of the running jokes in D&D is like, you get a thousand pieces of gold. It's like, I think you mentioned this on the cast before. It's like, as uh, I think you were referring to Braun. It's like, Braun, yeah. what am I going to do with a thousand pieces of gold? I can't carry that. Right. Like, like what am I going to do with it? Uh, you know, like, okay, the dragon eggs are money. That That works. It still seems like it still seems like a if you are really a Targaryen, it seems like a very important historical gift to give away. True. Yep. Yeah. But but you're you know it's it's got merit, mm-hmm. and the army argument makes sense to go weaken Westeros. It's it's got merit. Yeah, and I then just, uh, I, I think the I think the the new plan for them is is kudos to Illyrio and Varys because they're constantly having to change their plans <laughs> yeah, yeah. with everything that happens. And I think the new plan, uh, well, we kind of find out that the new plan is to meet Danny and Volantis. They're kind of 
guessing that she's going around freeing slaves. There's slavery in Volantis, yeah. so she's going to go to Volantis. Uh, so they go there, and we know that Tyrion goes there, starts to travel there. The Golden Company goes there. And, and then, then they say, fuck you, Varys, I'm going now by myself. I'm going to stay in Marine. <laughs> uh, well, so, if Danny stays in Marine, and and uh, Aegon doesn't wait. Nope. He's like, nope. I'm going now. Yep. Which uh, yeah. goes to maybe some of Tyrion's a little unhinged. He gets him to go over there, and the sole reason Tyrion's wanting him to go over there is to start a fight that Tyrion has to know Aegon can't win. But, yeah, you'd think you'd think so. Yeah. Oh, it's fun, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, the series we read is crazy. Mm-hmm. All right, what else we got? Okay. Um. You think Sweet Robin's going to die? Yeah. He's got it, right? I think so. Poor kid. I. He's awful, right? But poor kid. Yeah. But I, yeah, I, I think it's just a matter of kind of how and what Peter's going to do to make it happen right. Uh-huh. Or or can, can will Sansa see it and feel bad enough for him to do something about it? You know? I, I think she will. I think that could be a really interesting plot twist to this whole thing. And maybe that's what really causes the separation between Peter and Sansa is maybe her trying to like sneak sweet Robin out or something like that to save him. Yeah. On what would be even worse is if he still died. Right. Mm. So this is going to go one of two ways for Sansa. Yeah. He could still die. This is going to go one of two ways for Sansa. It seems to me Mm -hmm. she's either going to, be brought under his wing and buy into everything he's doing. Or she's going to see something he does that sickens her and that snaps her out of it. And she plots his absolute destruction. Yeah. I don't know which way it's going to go. Yeah. And I'm sure, I, I don't know, but watchers of the show might have some opinions of that, but uh, I'm, I assume they've covered this in some way, but, mm. um, but I don't want to go into that. But, yeah. Um, but but I could see her, I could see her in the end, totally being Littlefinger's downfall. He puts mm-hmm. his trust in a lot of people. He's mm-hmm. got a blind spot for Cat and a blind spot for Sansa. Yep. And she could see this little boy, who yeah, he motorboats her and wets the bed. <laughs> hopefully not at the exact same time. But. But in the end, he's a kid who lost his mom, right. who didn't have a father really growing up, who was not given, a, I mean, you know, he's privileged, but he wasn't given a lot of opportunity, I think, to become a strong, robust boy. And I think she feels bad for him. And she, if she sees Peter's machinations toward him becoming evil, I could I could see her... Sticking up for him, yeah. I could see it. I could see it. Okay, now here's an interesting wrinkle to bring in all into all of this that's introduced in this block of chapters. The mm-hmm. Mad Mouse. Yeah. Yeah, he shows up. He's there. He's <laughs> there. He beats She's Brienne right to under it. his nose. Well, yeah. That's the next question. Does he know? I think he suspects. Yeah, I, I think, think he he's does there too. to confirm. There's yeah. that there's that line, there's a line in that in that chapter, the uh, The Winds chapter? Yeah, where he says to her like how um he wouldn't normally participate in a tourney, but if there's a, a a bag of dragons right under his nose, then you know he might rethink things. Referring back to the 
the money that he's could win for bringing Sansa back. Right. Um, so how will that play into it? I can almost see like the, the mad mouse is there to take her back. He's got a vested interest in keeping her alive. So he becomes this unlikely ally to Sansa to keep her alive and help get her out and everything. And and she's like, I'll go with you of my own volition if you take Robert but with we've got to take sweet Robin with us right and if you don't I'll kick and scream the whole way yes yeah. right it could could happen mm. could happen I think I think he's could got happen, a part but, to play in this he's going to be the but, little little Han Solo to Princess but you but you have to admit in that wins chapter she seems all in she does she's doing the dance yeah. she's in she's engaged in the plot she's doing everything she's supposed to do mm-hmm. she seems in so yeah, and like you said, is it is is Sweet Robin the breaking point though? Is trigger, that what yeah. snaps her out of it? The trigger. Yes, that's a great way to describe yeah. it. Yeah. Is that what makes her go whoa, whoa, whoa? We can't do this. Yeah. yeah. Mm. yeah. What will Eddard Stark's legacy really be? True. He taught his children things. Do they stick or not? All right. I'd love to see it happen. Yeah. All right. So fun where this could go. Is that enough Davos After Dark for us? Uh, I think it's Do you want to cover yeah. anything else? Uh, there's Volonkar stuff, but we can cover that like literally any time. Yeah, I feel like this it is almost comes too up early. We'd every... be, yeah, we'd be jumping the gun. <laughs> Let's save that for the actual prophecy when it comes out. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Are we going to do sign-offs? Let us sign off. Uh... As is common with me, I don't have anything that actually pertains to the episode itself. I just find things I like and sign off with that. (laughs) Um, So this is Matt signing off with these wise words from Ron Swanson. Give 100%. 110% is impossible. Only idiots recommend that. It's true. Uh, This is Scad signing off. Uh, I mentioned earlier all these characters are in a place of uncertainty in some way. Their fate's somehow controlled by things a little bit outside of themselves. And I was thinking about that. I was in my car, and I was listening to some GNR, Guns N' Roses. As the you song do. Is a, a, as I do. The song is Estranged. So nobody ever told you, baby, how it was gonna be. So what'll happen to us, baby? Guess we'll have to wait and see. Guess we'll have to wait and see. I think we just found our uh, closeout music for this episode. You got lucky because it was going to be Roses by Outcast, and now (laughs) you may have just saved it. (laughs) You know what, Matt? I trust you to pick. (laughs) All right. Good night, night, everybody. Good night, guys. Take care. See ya. Do you, do you think anyone's going to follow that rambling, crazy discussion we just had? I hope so. <laughs> Our listeners are dropping like flies. <laughs> All right. We made some good points in there, right? We did. Yeah, yeah, we did. Sure. <laughs> and at worst, we referred them to some good resources that can make good points. Right. <laughs>
Okay, good night, and buddy. I'm also, I'm also gonna give you. I'm also gonna give you just me saying this. If it sounded terrible, me singing it. So nobody ever told us, baby, how it was gonna be. So what'll happen to us, baby? Guess we'll have to wait and see. Beautiful. You can use that instead if the singing sounds terrible. No, I thought it sounded lovely. I think we, there's room for both. <laughs> When she got a hottie's body, but her attitude is body. When I met her at a party, she was hardly acting naughty. I said, Shawty, would you call me? She said, Pardon me, are you calling? I said, Darling, you sound like a prostitute pausing. Oh, so you want to them? Hey, Blood Riders, we hope you enjoyed episode 52. A couple shout outs to the music that we used today. So, first of all, we had Father of Mine from Everclear's album, So Much for the Afterglow. I brought it up on this cast before, but that's a fantastic album. Uh, say what you will about 90s rock, but that was a dang good album <clears throat> other songs we used we used roses by outcast off their double album speaker box and the love below that song was on the love below side of that album i like the speaker box side better but that roses song is still fantastic and then finally the song that scad brought up is Stranged by guns and roses that's off their album uh use your illusion two that's the number two a good one by them and a long one. That song is nine minutes and 23 seconds, you guys. But anyways, thanks for joining us and we can't wait to chat with you next time. Peace out.